If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 13, chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at um, a parable today. It's very interesting that, you sh- that with the, the Brichat Hashah portion today was from Luke 16, which is a parable of the unjust servant. I didn't work it out that way. It's interesting to me, too, that the songs actually go along and have prepared, at least me, I hope they have prepared you for this morning. Um, and so I want to look at the parable, this parable this morning. I'm going to look at it from a little different point of view, I think. Uh, you may or may not agree with me. That's okay. We can agree to disagree. Uh, but, you know, we, we are here to gather together. We are sitting before the seat of Yeshua, and uh, we're, we're hearing him teach us, not me. I know I'm speaking, but I hope that you're, you're thinking in terms of how he can help you to understand at least one thing this morning to apply to your life. Matthew 13, verse 1. On that day, Yeshua went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and great multitudes gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate them up. And others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of the people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the, water, beside the road. And 
on the one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he is no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And on the one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the weary of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the word which is preserved for us that tells us about you and tells us how we're to act and how we're to be. I just thank you, Father, for this time that we can gather together and we can learn from you. God, indirect us, I pray, in Yeshua's name. Amen. This parable is also told, is, is uh, written in Mark 4, 1 through 20, and Luke 8, 5 through 15. You know, we, we call this the parable of the sower, but I would say, I would say maybe it should be called the parable of the soils, maybe more proper, maybe a more proper title for this uh, passage of Scripture. And I could take it a further down. I want you to think about your legacy. Uh, most of us in here are older, uh, and, uh, you know, we, some of us have lived longer than others, but what is your legacy going to be? What is going to be on your tombstone? What is going to be said of you? And I want you to think about that as we look at this passage of Scripture about the parables. In my research and study, I was looking and wondering, and I had never studied this before. I never thought of it before until this time when I was asked to do this particular speech here. I never thought about Jewish parables. So I went on a search and you know where I went, I went to the internet and looked for Jewish parables, and I got a bunch of stuff that came up, and one of them that came up was Derek Lehman, Rabbi Derek Lehman. And I was reading some of his stuff and looking at that, and he pointed me to uh, a, 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 I guess it's a book, or it, it is a book called the historical, uh, G, the historical Jesus in Context. And in that, there was a man by the name of Gary Porton who wrote an article uh, called uh, The Parable in the Hebrew Bible and Rabbinic Literature. And so I looked at that, and some of the things I'm going to say today have to do with that about the, the rabbinical and the, the Jewish parables, because I never, you always think of the parables coming from the Vikadashah. I mean, that's the way I was taught, that's what I always thought. But there are some parables as well in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Most of the time when we hear a teaching, or we have a teaching on the parables, we hear an explanation of the text which, yes, correct, we, we do, that, that's good. And, of course, we will look at the text and its context and its meaning this morning. But perhaps no study of the Scriptures is more interesting and fascinating, at least to me, than the study of the parables of, of Yeshua. They have gripped the hearts of men for ages. Back in the day, back when he was teaching, and even up till today. As a matter of fact, I heard... Uh, I read something about uh, Daniel Webster saying that because of the parables, he believed uh, in the Bible. He believed that the Bible was the Word of God. 
There are, there are those who have never opened a Bible, and yet they've heard about the Good Samaritan. Who has not heard about the Good Samaritan, right? And what it means, as well as hearing about making the use of your talents, right? We've heard about that. These and many other expressions have entered our common speech because Yeshua, the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, the promised one for the world, made them so real and vivid, those expressions vivid in parables. The Okanon of John in his gospel said this, no one ever spoke the way this man does. And further he says that Yeshua said, from his father Yeshua said, I gave them the words that you gave me. So the words that Yeshua said came from the Father, and we have those words today. I'm sure you've heard of the story, like I've heard of the story of a Sunday school teacher teaching her class of young children, you probably know where I'm going to go, about the parables of Yeshua, and gave them to them a well-known definition, albeit, from my opinion, not a good one. She said, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay. The next week, the teacher had the same class and asked the class, who can remember what a parable was? How, what would you tell me that, what I told you last week? And one child eagerly raised her hand and she said, a parable is a heavenly story with no earthly meaning. See how we can get it mixed up. A parable is a heavenly story with no earthly meaning. I don't, I don't believe that. But I can understand how she would, un- because the, the parables are a puzzle puzzle. There are a lot of believers who express the same sentiment about parables, that they're cute little stories. However, that is not the case. These truths in the parables are what we need in our lives today. The Bible, I'm going to tell you, and I've told you before, is relevant for today. Not just back then, but today. We can study it, we can read the Hebrew, we can study it and read the Greek, we can exegete it and all that, but unless it becomes practical, unless it becomes part of our lives, unless it becomes in and through us, what good is it? The truths of the Word of God will help us along our journey, this sojourn that we have, waiting for the kingdom of Yeshua to come. And He's coming someday soon. Doesn't seem like it with all the world's ills. Doesn't seem like it with all the wars and people being killed and, you know, people having their heads cut off of their faith. Have you thought about that? What would you say? How would you act? Anyway, I digress. There are those who are prone to glean, I believe, too many meanings from the parable, too many things, too many meanings and exegeted, eisegeted, eisegesis, you know, taking it out of context and not what it really says. There have been great scholars who are, more, who are smarter than me and you and everybody else who have studied the parables and often give entirely different interpretations or even meanings to those parables that are so familiar to us. As I mentioned, Gary Porton in his article, The Parable of the Hebrew Bible and Rabbinic Literature, gives, I believe, a good definition of a parable. The Greek word parable means comparison juxtaposition or analogy. The Septuagint, as we know, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, chooses the Hebrew word mashal or meshalim in the plural. He goes on to say that the Hebrew texts do not distinguish between a fable, an allegory, a simile, a metaphor, or a parable. They kind of all come together. 
Scholars agree that there are five parables in the Hebrew Scriptures. Do you know where they are? Can you name them? No, you don't have to do that. Judges 9, 7 through 15, 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 4, and 2 Samuel 14, 1 through 20, 1 Kings 20, 35 through 43, and Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. And then some believe that Esther and Jonah, but we won't go there, are parables as well. But the most famous one you know about, I'm sure, is from 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 4. Anybody know what that is? What's that about? Nathan came to David, right? That's a parable. And what happened with David when he heard the parable? He got angry. And what did Nathan do? He pointed at him and said, you're the one, David. And then God said, you know, this is your punishment. The sword will never leave your house. So there are parables there. There are things there to help us to learn what it is, what God expects of us. You know, Tevye said, you know, why do we have traditions, you know, to know who God is and what he expects of us, right? And we have the word of God and we have these parables. We have all these things here that help us to understand who God is and what he expects of us. Our relationship to him and our relationship to other people. In the article that Porton wrote, he goes on to state that, quote, there are hundreds of parables in, in, Jewish, in the Jewish collections. It was a popular literary creation and likely just as popular in the oral culture. The fact means, this fact means that the appearance of parables attributed to Yeshua in the Synoptic Gospels is what we would expect from a Jewish teacher, scholar, sage, preacher in Galilee in the first century CE. What Yeshua did in teaching and parables was a very, very Jewish thing. The parable is a teaching method, I believe, that was used by the rabbis and others to teach the meaning and interpretation of biblical passages and concepts. And here he's talking about the kingdom of God. Here he's talking about the word coming into the hearts of men. I believe that the parables are self-explanatory teaching methods in which the hearer would understand the intended meaning because they would understand it as they read it, as they heard it, in the context in which they were given real-life situations and settings, in a particular time, in a unique place, addressing a specific situation in the lives of the people to whom Yeshua was speaking. You have to understand, Yeshua was in this house. He came and he sat down at the seaside. And when he came down and sat at the seaside, they saw him. Why did they gather to him? I think they gathered to him because he did miracles. I think they gathered to him because he was Yeshua, obviously. But they wanted to hear what he had to say. And so he was sitting there, and perhaps, it doesn't tell us in the context, but I'm this is my thinking. He was sitting there teaching, and all of a sudden, what would happen if all of a sudden this place just got crowded with people? And people just kept on coming in and kept on coming in and clamoring to get closer. So what did Yeshua do? He got into a boat by the sea. He got into the boat, and he sat down to teach. And then sitting down was symbolic because he is the one who's a teacher and they were listening. And you know what? He was facing them just as I'm facing you and you were face, they were facing him just as you were facing me. But they weren't sitting, they were standing. That was common. So he sat and he taught. And I got to thinking about that had to be a supernatural thing to happen because here he is on the scene. I don't know how far he went out. I don't know how far the boat went out. I don't know how many people were there, but wow, 
He didn't have the microphone like I have today. They heard him. When we place Yeshua in the, in the Jewish context, in the environment, we see that Yeshua is teaching not only about the kingdom on, on earth, but a future kingdom. So what we have here is both the biblical and rabbinic texts. The parables serve as a means to understand God, to understand the biblical passages, to understand the heavenly kingdom, to understand the Holy One, blessed be He. Parables come from the Greek word para, Balo, meaning alongside of para, balo, to put. So to put alongside. So in a parable, we put one thing alongside another in, to, in order to compare them. A parable is a brief story that is true to life, given for the purpose of teaching some spiritual truth. Maybe a fuller definition is this. A parable is a brief story or narrative drawn from human life or from nature, not relating necessarily to some actual event, but true to life, concerning something very familiar to the listeners, given for the purpose of teaching a spiritual truth. And that doesn't mean that every event there is, has something spiritual in it. So how do we study a parable? Well, I'm glad you asked that question this morning. First, I believe that there are three parts to a parable. We have the setting... We have the story, and we have the spiritual message. And then lastly, we have the application. How does that apply to me and to you? Second, we need to observe three principles in finding the central message. I believe each parable has one and only one central message. Each parable, secondly, has a number of details that would have spiritual significance of their own. But all these details also relate to one central message. And thirdly, each parable has details that have not special spiritual significance like I just said. And the third thing is we need to study the application or applications to our own life and service as believers in Messiah Yeshua. So let's look at our scriptures this morning. We're going to start out with the setting. That's the first thing we need to look at. It says, On that day Yeshua went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And the great multitudes gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. So the setting is this. The occasion is very simple, right? Is that Yeshua was in a house. What was he doing? I have no idea, but he was in a house. He saw the people, it was time for him to teach, so he went out. He was sitting by the sea. My conjecture is that he was probably teaching. There might have been his disciples with him and those that were not the twelve, but others as well. The twelve and others as well. And then the crowds grew and they gathered to him. So he had to do something. So what did he do? He got into a boat and he sat down. He sat down to teach. Now that, when he, when he sat down to teach, that means he sat in authority. Rabbis did that. Teachers did that. They sat down as an authority. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. So there were so many people there, Yeshua got into a boat and teach them, and he was speaking many things to them in parables. So that's the setting. It's very, very simple, the setting. Let's look at the story. 
He says, Behold, the sower went out to sow, verse 3, and he sowed, as he sowed, some of the seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell in the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on, the ground, on good soil and yielded a crop of some hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So we have the setting. Yeshua is sitting in a boat teaching a multitude of people. He starts out with parables and he says, the sow went out to sow. Some seeds fell on the road and the birds came and ate them up. You know, before I go on here, we do farming differently than they do back in, the day, back in that day. Um, we have our machines, and they come down, they make a, a, a furrow, right? And they have this machine that the seeds go in. On my right, you who are farmers know that. It goes in the seed, and it pops in, and then it, it closes it over, right? Back in the day, they would sow their seed, and uh, you know, they would take it, and they would just sow it. They would just do, throw it out, right? I remember living in Pittsburgh, and, and I had all these dandelions and these weeds, and the guy, Mr. Matthews, next door, Dick Matthews said to me, I said, how am I going to get rid of these? He said, oh, I got something for you, Russ. And, uh, you know, usually what I do today is I have this little cart that I put it in and it all goes out all the way around. Well, he said, no, let's go. He had a bag. And we just sewed that like this and just went all over the place. I don't know where it went, but it did get rid of the dandelions. It did get rid of the, the weeds. So they went out to sow. A sow went out to sow. So you have to picture that in your mind, that the sow went out to sow. They didn't sow like they did today. They didn't farm like today. And they would have understood it, those people, because it was an agricultural society back then. So some seeds, seeds fell by the wayside. It went into the road, and, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell upon the rocky places. They didn't have much soil, so they didn't have any root, really. They sprang up immediately, but there's no depth of soil. And, and, and then the sun came out and scorched the seeds. And so because there was no root, no depth, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil. And you know the story for there. These seeds yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Interesting, he said that. And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. What does that mean? He who has ears, let him hear. I believe that this means stop. Listen. You who have the spiritual capacity to do so, ponder, contemplate, meditate, think. Think about this parable. Think about what I'm telling you. Now back in that day, they could. They could meditate. They could contemplate. They could think. They could ponder. But in our day, I believe it's harder. In our day and age, we have lost the art of meditation on the Word of God and its meaning and its application to our lives. And I think the reason is because we've got so much going on and coming at us all at once, the technological world, that it drowns out the meditation of God's Word and thinking about God's Word and His input in our lives. I encourage you, if you travel, I travel a lot to seven different counties around, from central Ohio and out towards Springfield and Clark County, and 
Sometimes I just shut my radio off. I even shut off the, 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 the Messianic music. I even shut off the music that's biblical. And, and uh, I just tried to think about the Word. I tried to pray. I don't know about you, but I think that's a good idea to do. To think about the Word of God. To meditate. We have lost that art. So he says, He who has ears, let him hear. Think for a moment. Stop. Listen. You have the spiritual capacity to ponder and contemplate, meditate and think about this parable and how it will apply to your life. So the disciples come to him and later and say, why do you speak to them? Why do you speak to the crowds in, in parables? Why do you do that? Why don't you just plainly tell them? And I don't have to exegete this because he gives the answer. He gives the meaning, Yeshua does. He makes it easy for me and you. Yeshua's answer, why he spoke to the crowds, is found in verses 11 through 17. And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Do you realize this morning, if you're here and you know Yeshua in your heart and your life, you've been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Do you know that? Do you understand that? Have you ever thought of that? For whoever has, verse 12, to him shall more be given. And he shall have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and should be in, I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because you see and your ears because they hear. For truly, truly, I say to you, Many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Yeshua gives a simple answer. To you, I say, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The secret things belong in the heart of God, yes? But to them it has not been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The mystery that Yeshua is revealing is the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua goes on to speak about what a person does with what he has. Whoever has, to him more will be given. He shall have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even that will be taken away. Yeshua speaks to them in parables because they do not see, hear, or understand. He explains why they do not hear or see and understand in verses 14 through 17. Isaiah 6, the prophecy there is being fulfilled, which says they hear, but they don't hear, they don't perceive, and so forth. This is true today as well. The world, while hearing, while hearing the word, does not hear. While seeing, they do not see, nor do they understand. So what is the spiritual message for us today? 
Yeshua said to them, Blessed are your eyes because you see, and your ears because they hear, which means that they understand. I would say to you this morning, blessed are your eyes because you see. Blessed are your ears because you hear, which means you understand. Truly they are blessed because many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see. Yeshua, showing the kingdom of heaven on earth. These prophets, these righteous men did not see nor hear what the disciples saw and heard. And we do not see or hear what they heard. But we have a glimpse in the scriptures here. Now Yeshua said to them, Hear the parable of the sower. And anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, he says the evil one comes and snatches away which is sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the road. Okay. We're done. I know Rabbi said, shut your phones off, please, or turn them on. That's okay. We'll go. Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, which is sown in the heart. This is the one on whom the seed is sown beside the road. He further says, and the one on whom the seed was sown in the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I got the word of God. Look at that. This one does not have a firm root in him, but it's only temporary. And I've met people like that. They, they're excited until the persecution comes and tell us, I mean, you believe in that Yeshua? Oh, you know, and they get on the case. And affliction come because of the word. And immediately that person falls away. And the one whom the seed is sown among the thorns, this man who hears the word, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, he said. This is the man who hears the word and understands it. Do you hear the word? Do you understand it? Are you bearing fruit indeed and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty? So, we have looked at the setting, we have looked at the story, we looked at the, Yeshua's answer and the spiritual message. He gives it to us there. He tells us about it. So what about the personal application? You might be saying, so what, Russ? So what can we make as a personal application? I'm just going to throw a few things out there this morning for you. We need to ask the question, why does Yeshua not start this parable with, quote, the kingdom of heaven is like? The other ones he said. This one he didn't start that way. I believe it is because the kingdom of heaven begins with the preaching of the word, the planting of the seed in the hearts of people. We know that the seed is God's word. The various soils are representing different kinds of hearts of mankind. And the varied results show the different responses to the Word of God. Yeshua explained this parable so that there is no doubt of its meaning. In Hebrews 4.12, it talks about the Word of God and is compared to a seed. How? That the Word of God is living and powerful and active, piercing the soul. A double-edged sword. We need to understand that the words of men are not like the word of God. 
The words of men are not like the word of God. The word of God has life. And life is imparted to those who believe. So now we get down to it. The truth of God must take root in the heart and life. It must be cultivated and permitted to bear fruit. Rebecca and I just uh, put a new raised garden in our backyard. And we had another raised garden that didn't work out too well with the wood. And so it was kind of falling down and dilapidated. So we got this plastic thing. Hopefully it will work this year and it will be better. And it was way on the other side of my yard. And then we, had, we put this one here. We just decided to put it in the middle so we could see it from our, our dining room. And I got my wheelbarrow out, and I had to take that soil, that good soil, and put it in that, that raised garden. I had to do that. Then Rebecca said, well, we need to put this organic stuff on here to make it grow, you know, fertilizer. And then we had to take it, and we took the pitchfork, and we had to cultivate. We had to take it so it would break it up, so it wouldn't be clumpy, although the soil was really good. I had, we have to cultivate that. We have to water it when there's no rain every day to make sure that the tomatoes that we have are going to grow and the pepper and the cucumbers and then the beans. We have to cultivate that. You have to cultivate in your life the Word of God. You have to get into the Word of God every day. And I know you, I, I tell you this every time, get in the Word of God. Why do I say that? Because it's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for you. We have to cultivate the Word of God that it might take root in our heart and it might be permeated in our lives, that it might bear fruit of who we are. In my office, there's a gentleman who told me something, and I was just totally taken aback. He used a biblical word to me. He said, Russ, we were talking about a lot of things. He says, Russ, you're long-suffering. <laughs> what do you mean I'm long-suffering? I guess because I have patience with him because he's learning some stuff. It just hit me. Me? Long-suffering? Okay, and I said, thank you. I was polite. I said, thank you. And then he said, you know, um, that, that, I, that I got his back covered. I hope so. And I hope that is a fruit of what God has done in my life and that is permeating unto him that I would be a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, they don't know who I am. They don't know where I worship. They don't know that I'm a former congregational leader, all that. I don't tell them that stuff because a lot of times you tell them that stuff and boom, the wall goes way up, right? But I have had some opportunities to, to talk about the word and he and I have had some discussions where he was not happy that I didn't agree with his interpretation of Scripture. Are we permeated? Are we permeated with the Word of God so much that it just gets, it's part of us that we have a sweet-smelling aroma? How many of us have been uh, gone by some people or people have gone by us and they put so much perfume on that they, they come in here and they just fill it and we all be, our noses would go up like that and immediately stuff up? That's the way we need to be, not obnoxiously, but who we are as we walk among people. You walk among people, I don't walk among them, and I walk among people, you don't. And we need to be fruitful people for God. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to take root in the heart. It needs to be permitted to bear fruit. Think about it. Three-fourths of those seeds did not bear any fruit, did they? Three-fourths of them did not. It's interesting that Yeshua did not describe an age of great harvest, but one in which the Word of God would be rejected. Interesting. Yeshua talked about 
fruit-bearing, and he said in Matthew 7, you will know them by their fruits. What is the fruit of our salvation? Well, holiness, as it tells us in Romans 6, 22. Godly character, and we've looked at Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Or it tells us in Colossians 1 that we are to do good works for the glory of the kingdom. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God and the salvation to who? To the, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, sharing the Messiah with those around. Hebrews 13.15 says that we are to offer praise to God continually. That's just some of the fruit. Fruits. I don't think fruits is a correct English, but I'm going to use that word anyway. If a plant is to, is to bear fruit, then it must be rooted in good soil. It must be watered and exposed to sunshine. That soil must be cultivated. That soil must be free of weeds. That soil must be fruitful. You don't take the weeds out just once. You have to take them out all summer long. I remember as a kid, I went to a farm in New Hampshire. And one thing I did not like was to weed. And they, the people that I was with, you know, my friend's aunt, and they had a, uh, a plot and we weeded it by hand as big as one side here. And we were just kids, and we had to go weed and weed and weed and weed. But we got the fruit of the, of the beans and whatever else we had. But it takes time. It takes effort. Where are you planted? Are you planted beside the road where it is snatched by the evil one? Where are you planted? Are you planted on the rocky places where the roots are not deep and the persecution show how weak and insufficient you are and your roots are drying up and perhaps they're dying? Where are you planted? Are you planted among the thorns and the deceitfulness of the world's riches choke the word? And you don't spend time in the word, but you spend time in the world. Where are you planted? Are you planted on good soil, fruitful soil that has been cultivated? that will get a great harvest, that will be permitted to bear fruit? Is the seed of the Word of God rooted in your heart and your life? It's interesting, in Matthew 13, 19 times the word hear is found. That's significant. Are you listening and not hearing? He who has ears, let him hear. I need to ask the question to all of us, including me, are we sowing, what are we sowing in our life? Are we sowing things in our life that make the seed of the Word of God fall on the wayside? Are we being pulled by the world and all that has often neglecting the Word of God? Are we sowing things in our life that make the seed of the Word of God fall in rocky places? Are our roots shallow so that when persecution comes, we dry up and give up? Are we sowing things in our life that makes the seed of the Word of God fall among thorns or the worries and riches of the pleasures of life choking us out so we do not bring forth fruit in our life to maturity? Or are we sowing things in our life that makes the seed of the Word of God fall on good soil? Are you hearing the Word of God? Are you holding fast to it and bear fruit with perseverance? Because we have to have that. So which soil are you this morning? Finally, I mentioned about a legacy. 
what kind of legacy will you leave this life with? What will people say of you and of me? Will they say that you had, a, had the fruit of godliness, godliness in you? Will they say that you had the fruit of holiness in you? Will they say that you had the fruit of faithfulness in you? Will they say that, that you had the fruit of immersing yourself in the sea of the word of God? Will they say that you drank deeply from the words of life? Will they say that you had left nothing to chance but trusted in God? What is your legacy? I was listening to Michael W. Smith the other day, and he was invited, everybody remembers Columbine and that young lady, forgot her name, but she was murdered by uh, that man that did that horrific thing, the young man. And um, in that, he asked her, do you believe in God? And then she said yes and shot him. He wrote a song, and I just, I know I did song before, but I think it really speaks to our heart. Perhaps this will happen to you. You'll have a test. I'm not saying you're going to be murdered, but you'll have a test. It was a test we could all hope to pass, but none of us would want to take. Faced with the choice to deny God to live, for her, there was one choice to make. This was her time. This was her dance. She lived every moment, left nothing to chance. She swam in the sea, drank of the deep, embraced the mystery of all she could be. This was her time. Though you are mourning and grieving with us, die, death died a long time ago, swallowed in a life so that life carries on. Still, it's hard to let go. This was her time. This was her dance. She lived every moment, left nothing to chance. She swam in the sea, drank of the deep, embraced the mystery of all that could be. What if tomorrow and what if today, faced with the question, oh, what would you say? This is your time, this is your dance. Live every moment, leaving nothing to chance. Swim in the sea, drink of the deep, fall in the mercy and hear yourself praying. Won't you save me? Won't you save me? This is your time, this is your dance. Live every moment, leaving nothing to chance. Swim in the sea, drink of the deep. Embrace the mystery of all you can be. Won't you save me? This is your time. Won't you save me? What is going to be on your tombstone? I hope in mine, it can say that Russ Baudet loved his wife. That Russ Baudet was a good husband. That Russ Baudet was a good father. That Russ Baudet was a good man. That he honored God with his life. Where are you sowing seed today? On the good soil? I hope. I hope. I don't say all this stuff to get us emotional, but you know, I believe we are in the last times. I, I agree with Howard, yes, but we are in the last times. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. We need to be strong in God. We need to be strong in the Word. 
Because when the tempest tossed, when the persecution comes, how are you going to stand? Are you going to have that root in the Word of God? Are you going to drink of the sea of the Word of God so that it permeates you? So that you're the sweet smell and aroma for Him. Let's pray. Wow, Father, I didn't even think I'd make it here today because I was so concerned about what I was going to say, but you helped me, and I thank you for that. I ask of myself that I might drink of the sea of the Word of God, that I might immerse myself in that, that I might be all I can be for you to honor you through what I say, what I do, and who I am, and where I'm at, and who knows how much more life I have. I don't know. None of us knows. Help us to honor you. Help us to apply this Word of God to our lives. And may we have a legacy that honors you through what we say, who we are, and what we're about. May we be that sweet-smelling aroma to those around us. May we smell of Yeshua in that sense that they would see Him in our lives, that they might ask us and we might share with them. And may they be good soil, that they might hear and understand and know who Yeshua is like we do. We thank You for Your love, Your grace, Your mercy. And this time today that we might gather together, just this little time together, we praise you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen.